This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Preservation without funding is just good intentions. That's why people like Meryl Hoopengardner and her team at the National Trust Community Investment Corporation are so integral to the future of this work. Right now, they're working on big changes to federal funding for preservation, a timely and critical issue we knew we had to have on PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Meryl Hoopengardner, who is the president and CEO of the National Trust Community Investment Corporation. Um, And we're going to learn all about what that is and some really compelling and important work that's happening right now that PreserveCast listeners could potentially get involved in to make a difference in the future of preservation and saving communities all across the country. Um, So it's it's always really... um, exciting to be joined by somebody in a leadership position in a big national organization. And so, but before we get there and we talk about the really important work and some big things that are happening right now, Meryl, how does one become the president and CEO of uh, the Community Investment Corporation of the National Trust? Like, what's your preservation story? How did you get into this line of work? So I think like many people, like took a few twists and turns My 10-year-old is going through a school project right now where she's looking at family history and thinking about career paths. And I don't think as a 10-year-old, I knew a job like this existed, much less how I would get to it. Um, But interestingly, from a preservation perspective, I actually grew up in a historic district. I grew up on Main Street in Abingdon, Virginia, a small town on the Virginia-Tennessee line, um, and lived in downtown Abingdon my whole growing up, and my mom still lives on Main Street. And so I think I had it a little bit in my community blood, even if as a teenager, I thought it was lame to live on Main Street and not in one of the little subdivisions on the outside of town. But as I grew up and moved away, when I was in college, I got very interested in community development related work and then worked for a community development financial institution, self-help credit union in Durham, North Carolina, when I graduated from college. And then at self-help, I really learned a lot about the different pieces of community development finance, which had preservation and affordable housing and sustainability and other parts of broader revitalization in it. But I took a detour. My husband was in the military and we moved overseas for four years. So I did that. And then I came back and went to law school, intending to go into some sort of community development field, which I thought at the time might be affordable housing focused. And I was fortunate to land after law school at Nixon Peabody, which is a law firm that has a large practice in community development and tax credit finance. And I cut my teeth doing low-income housing tax credits and then really jumped straight into the deep end of the ocean at the birth of the New Markets tax credit. I showed up at Nixon when New Markets was brand new, did a ton of New Markets related work, which is a tool for investing in low-income communities. And over time, a lot of our investments also combined historic tax credit. So I became one of our internal experts on twinning historic and New Markets. Interestingly, around the same time, NTCIC was one of the pioneers for putting that structure together. So sometimes I was on one side of the table or the other with some of these early movers in the field. And I took a little detour again to the small business finance side of 
the new markets field working at Advantage Capital Partners. But then when I got the call to come to NTCIC to fill the very big shoes of John Leith Tetro, who was the founding president of NTCIC when he retired, um, I thought it was a great way to bring back all these different pieces of my personal and professional career to lead NTCIC into this next chapter of our growth. It's interesting because I think a lot of people, you know, there's different aspects of preservation that people get interested in and excited about. And I think the reality is without money and finance, there there rarely is the opportunity to do large scale work. Um, and so sometimes I think like the work of NTCIC, which is the acronym that we'll be using here as shorthand for the Community Investment Corporation, um, kind of happens like in the background and it isn't as public as perhaps some of the bigger programs of the National Trust. But obviously, it's critical. Um, and so for someone listening, so maybe take a step back for just somebody who's listening who's not super familiar with preservation finance. Um, and what is it that the Community Investment Corporation does? And then maybe like in like a 30-second version, what is a historic tax credit? Tricky. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm going to actually explain the historic tax credit first, so then okay. I can explain what NTCIC does. Perfect. And, and I can name that tune in 30 seconds or less. So the historic tax credit is the federal government's biggest investment in preservation at the national scale. And it's been permanent in the tax code all the way back to 1981. It's historic itself in the tax code at this point. And it was recognition that, as you said, doing preservation requires money. And rehabbing historic properties requires, in many cases, more money than building them from ground up, particularly if you want to retain the pieces of the property that make it historic or things that may have deteriorated over time. So the credit gives you essentially 20 cents back on the dollar for every dollar you invest in the rehab of your building. And it's really the stuff that sticks to the building. As we describe it to members of Congress, if you pick your historic building up and you shake it, like a dollhouse, the stuff that falls out, you don't get credits on. But the stuff that sticks to your building, you get 20 cents on the dollar for everything that you spend. So let's talk about NTCIC's role in that. For many building owners, they need those dollars to pay for construction. They need to pay for their contractor and their architect and people who are on site doing the work. They can't wait until they finish their project and then file their tax return and get a credit back on the money they spent. They need it today to pay for construction. So the credit allows for investors to participate in that. An investor can partner with the building owner and invest money in the project. And the investor can claim the tax credits for the investment that they made. And at NTCIC, we're one more layer in that. We are what's called a tax credit syndicator. We work with multiple investors who want to invest in our historic properties nationwide owe Uncle Sam money. So they invest through funds that we raise and we help them find historic rehab projects that need their money. And so it's one big happy family. We help them find and evaluate and structure the tax rules of the transaction. And we manage their investments all the way through a five-year compliance period. Um, and then our projects get the money that we're able to bring in from big national players who might not otherwise know about your Main Street project in Abingdon, Virginia. And then we're able to bring all those parties together. So when NTCIC was formed 21 years ago, it was so we could play that role. So we could be a national 
partner to investors who wanted to invest in this product and developers who needed cash for rehab. Um, and so we started as a historic tax credit investor. And then early in the new markets tax credit realized that could even supercharge our investments because so many historic properties are located in economically distressed areas. And now we also syndicate the solar tax credit, which is built on a similar tax structure to the historic credit um, and is helping us bring together our preservation and sustainability goals as a broader organization so we can do all three credits now. So in in shorthand terms, if the syndication piece, just for people to understand that, because I think it took me about three years to figure it out myself, um, as uh, you get a million dollars in federal historic tax credits and you find somebody who, who has tax liability and they basically buy it at a certain percent on the dollar. So they're not going to pay you a million dollars. They might pay you $800,000. And so you get $800,000 in cash, but they get the million dollars in tax credits. And so they just kind of absolve themselves of 20% of their taxes in a sense. Like they, they got, they got a deal in doing that. Is that in a nutshell kind of what happens? It's kind of what happens. I would say it a little bit differently. If I'm an investor, I'm a big bank or I'm an insurance company, it's a little tricky right now under the tax rules for individuals to do it, but it's possible, theoretically possible. But let's talk about a, right, a bank, right? A common investor. If a bank owes Uncle Sam a million dollars in their taxes, instead of paying taxes, they can invest through NTCIC's funds into a historic project that costs $5 million in rehab. So they that project spent $5 million and generated $1 million in credits. So my investor who owes Uncle Sam a million dollars is going to invest through our project, into our project. They're going to put, as you said, they probably aren't going to pay a full million dollars. For some of the reasons I think we'll talk about later today, the credit isn't actually worth a dollar in the hand of the investor because of some other tax rules that are a little bit wonky, but also the investor's putting their money in before they're getting the credit back. So there's a time value of money discount on it. And then there, this is a tax program. So the IRS has some rules around it. And some of those rules actually require that the investor is really a partner in the project for at least a five-year period. And so, you know, the partner in the project is going to, they're really making an investment. You can't, buy or sell federal tax credits. It's just not a thing. It can work sometimes with state credits, but with federal credits, you're really an investment partner. And so you're going to share some in the different economic features of the deal, the cash and profits and losses and things like that. So that's one of the reasons why the credit's not exactly a dollar, but it could be 90 cents. It could be 80, 85 cents. Kind of depends on the size and location and asset class and how people are going to divvy up all these other tax things. So as as listeners can tell, it's it's complex. Uh, it's not a simple thing. There's a reason there's an entire uh, Community Investment Corporation of the National Trust that just deals with this day in and day out. Um, but, you know, preservation without money is just good intentions. So we have to have uh, people like Merrill who know this stuff inside and out. But the reason that we're talking today is not only because the work is fascinating, it's important for people to understand how it works, but there's some big stuff before Congress right now that could significantly impact this. So obviously over the years, you guys have had a big impact, not only on truly the finance of it, but you have a whole advocacy arm that focuses on making this stuff work. And so what's happening right now that listeners should know about? Um, 
in advocacy and potential changes to this credit? And why does that, you know, without getting too wonky, why does it matter? Like, why should the general person who just cares about historic buildings care about the tax policy that's currently before the Congress? So here's why you care. We are poised to make the biggest change that would enhance and expand the credit in a generation, really since 1986. There have been some changes over time. Some have been positive and some have been negative. But this is our first real opportunity to catch a ride on a piece of big legislation that could dramatically expand the availability of the credit um, in a couple different ways that I can talk about. And, you know, I'm a I'm a kid that grew up in the 80s and listened to Schoolhouse Rock. And in Schoolhouse Rock, you had that little ditty about how, you know, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill. And as a middle schooler, I thought you could have a standalone bill on whatever your priority was. And it would go through the House of Representatives and the Senate. It would show up on the president's desk and he or she would sign it and then you'd pass your law. It doesn't exactly work quite like that. There are a few more pieces of the puzzle. And I think the ones that matter most to our preservation community is recognizing that we've had historic tax credit improvement and growth and opportunity type acts that have been introduced by Congress several times over the last five to 10 years, Um, especially since the Historic Tax Credit Coalition was formed in 2009 and started doing real legislative advocacy for this credit. What's really exciting now is that we don't just have a bill, we have a vehicle. So you have to actually hitch up to some bigger piece of legislation. And for us, as wonky as it is, it has to be a piece of tax legislation because this is a tax credit program. So as people have seen, Congress has actually done a lot of work over the last two years, the CARES Act, the American Jobs Plan, Rescue Plan, et cetera. But none of those had big portions of the bill that had tax provisions in them. They were more appropriations focused. So we're really excited to see that Congress is now looking at a next phase of infrastructure related legislation that would include tax provisions. And there's a whole section related to community development finance, which includes all the things that we've been asking for in the historic tax credit growth and opportunity act. So it's and it's moving. It's already the House Ways and Means Committee is the part of the House of Representatives that has the pen for tax related provisions. It's already moved through the Ways and Means Committee and it's moving to the full House of Representatives. So we're going and we've essentially set the high water mark. We've got everything we've been asking for in our standalone bill that's being attached to a bigger piece of legislation that's starting to move. So now there's a great opportunity for anyone who cares about improving and expanding the credit to help us hold that high water mark. We want to be able to say, yes, member of the House of Representatives, we want you to take the Ways and Means package and keep all the HTC provisions in it. Yes, Senator so-and-so, as it gets to the Senate in the next couple of weeks, we want you to take what the House has passed through. So now we want to pull all these things through as it goes through this next process and eventually lands on President Biden's desk and gets signed into law. Um, so, so why don't great maybe chance this is for a, advocacy. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a huge opportunity for advocacy and for every person listening, whether they're a 
preservationist or just somebody who cares about history to kind of get involved and contact their member of Congress. And a member of Congress hearing about something this specific, it's like, oh, okay, I, I guess we should support that. Um, why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the specific provisions and why they're so exciting. Um, and we'll do our best to make tax policy exciting. Uh, we'll do that right here on PreserveCast. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Nick here. And I want to remind you briefly that your support is what makes this podcast possible. To keep hearing important stories like this one, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow along on social media at PreserveCast. You can also continue supporting the podcast with a donation at PreserveCast.org. PreserveCast is sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that believes we all succeed when we all know more about our past. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're joined by Merrill Hoopengardner, who is the president and CEO of the National Trust Community Investment Corporation. We've been talking all about how NTCIC does its work, how it impacts historic places, how finance is a critical component of preservation. And now we, for the first time, not only have, in many, many years, have really substantive updates to this federal historic tax credit, but we have an opportunity to actually make it happen. Um, it's not standalone. It's m potentially moving in a larger package. So we've been talking about why it's exciting, why there's an opportunity, how it's moving, why does it matter? What is what is changing and how does it impact, um, you know, a Main Street project in Abingdon, Virginia? So I describe it as we're asking for five mores, five more things that we can get that will benefit preservation if our bill provisions pass. We'll get more credits. We'll get more value for the credits that we get. More buildings will be eligible. You'll have more uses for buildings, particularly supporting nonprofits, and there will be more simplicity in the way the credit is administered. Perhaps the last one is the most important. More simple. <laughs> I More know. simple. As, as a recovering tax credit lawyer, I really want my former colleagues and the partners we have in the field to continue to have jobs. But this is not the job security for tax lawyers and accountants bill. It's the Historic Tax Credit Growth and Opportunity Act. So we do want to get more money into projects and simplifying the tax structure and lowering transaction costs always helps. Um, so all the things we're talking about will bring simplicity and if we go back to the top of the list, more credits. So we are asking for both temporary and permanent increases to the credit percentage. Today, you get 20% for each of those dollars you spend on qualified costs. With this new legislation, you'd get 30% for all credits for at least a five-year period, and then it'll tick back down to 20. Smaller projects like the Main Street project in a town like Abingdon will keep the 30% level permanently. So you'll get more credits for all projects for this five to seven year period and sustain that for small projects indefinitely, permanent change to the credit. You'd also get more value for the credit. This is a technical tax thing, which I don't want to put your listeners to sleep. But today, Congress essentially gives us a credit on one hand, but they tax it on the other with this thing called the basis adjustment. So it changes the way the building owner depreciates their property, and it can create some phantom income for investors in the so-called 50D rules. I'm not going to explain any of that, except Please to say it's, super, <laughs> it, it's a super technical thing, but it taxes the project, which means that 
price per dollar that an investor is paying for it or what it's worth in the hands of a building owner who's taking the credits themselves isn't worth a full dollar. So we want to improve that value. Also, if you eliminate this basis adjustment, it will make the historic tax credit play better in the sandbox with other incentives, most notably the low-income housing tax credit because the historic rule applies when you combine with low income, and that actually then reduces the, eval the value of the affordable housing units that you're creating. So you get these pretty absurd results. So we'd improve the value of the credit, more value if we eliminate the basis adjustment. Third, we would have more buildings eligible. There's a rule in the program called the substantial rehab test that you have to essentially spend a dollar more than your building's worth to be eligible for the credit. You have to do a lot of work. You're not just doing little fixer upper things. But really, that's like a total rehab. That's not a substantial rehab. So we want to change that rule so you only have to spend half of what your building's worth. That way you can rehab buildings before they're literally falling down around you. Um, and that would make a number of more buildings eligible everywhere in the country. And then we want to make more types of projects eligible. Today, there are a lot of restrictions for how nonprofits in particular can use the credit. Um, it, there are some kind of complicated ways you can try to work around. Again, that care and feeding for the professionals in the industry, but not necessarily getting money into it. And you get some crazy results again, where you can have nonprofit users, but it's really hard if you already own and operate your property as a nonprofit, like a theater or a school or something like that, to be able to rehab your own property. You almost have to sell it to somebody else to be able to rehab it. So we would eliminate almost all of these restrictions on how nonprofits can use it. Also, Congressman Evans from Philadelphia has a provision which was separate from our Historic Tax Credit Growth and Opportunity Act bill, but is very compatible in a similar part of the tax rules. His provision, if passed, would allow HTCs to be used for historic public school buildings. So you could even have a government user, if it's a public school operator, use the credit. So that's great. Um, so that would make the, pro the credit eligible for more types of uses without having differentiation between for-profit and nonprofit users. And then, like I said, all of these things actually simplify this part of the tax code where the rules live, and that will lower cost, make the credit more attractive and less intimidating. I mean, especially if you're a small project in small town USA, this looks like a lot of care and feeding to just rehab your credit. Like, is it worth it to go through all these things? In addition to the regulatory requirements associated with the program, you've got to work through state and federal preservation requirements. At the same time, you have to do all these tax rules. So we at least want to be able to simplify the tax side of the equation. So this achieves what Congress intended when the credit was created, which is to encourage economic development through historic preservation. So, I mean, it's a, it's a huge opportunity, obviously, um, and I think that was a really, really good explanation of why it matters and, and what's happening here. Um, and obviously, anybody who cares about historic places, historic communities, whether it be, um, you know, main streets or a nonprofit um, or somebody who cares about historic school buildings, and we're losing a disproportionate amount of those all across the country. I mean, all these different provisions really add up. So even if you're not super interested in tax law, um, uh, but it, it it obviously matters. So 
you said that there's a vehicle in terms of legislation where this is moving. What's the potential for this? And then maybe we'll kind of wrap with what people can really do substantively to make a difference right now. So where where is it in the process and what are what do what are you what do you what do you think is going to happen? So I would we were um, joking before we hit the play button record button today that we both are hockey fans and I would say you know we are approaching the Stanley Cup finals of <laughs> our efforts to get this generational change to the credit. So whether you're a Washington Capitals fan or a Buffalo Sabres fan or some other silly thing like that, this is our chance. Our our players are going through the playoffs right now and they're trying to approach the cup. So as I mentioned, the bill has already moved through the House Ways and Means Committee. So it's gone through its first draft and we made the first cut. So now it's going to move to the full House of Representatives and it's going to move to the Senate. The Senate Finance Committee is the companion to the Ways and Means Committee. And so they're already looking very closely at what their own tax priorities are. And then these things are really going to merge up together. And so you'll have the House and the Senate both working on this. The challenge, if you read the newspaper, is that you know that the vehicle for this is through a pretty technical legislative strategy called budget reconciliation. And what that means is it gives the controlling party an opportunity to move things through with fewer votes than they might normally have. So that means when the House of Representatives, which has a super small Democratic majority, and in the Senate, which is 50-50 right now, you have a little bit of a chance to move things more quickly with a smaller majority. Of votes. And so the framework for that exists that passed the summer. And this is one of the things that's being inserted into that framework. So if we can stay within the framework, there's going to be this tax section of it, which is going to be somewhere between one and a half and three and a half trillion dollars over a 10 year scoring period. And then there are going to be some other appropriations related things for some of the other sticks and bricks type things we think of with infrastructure, road, you know, roads and bridges and airports and broadband and some other things like that um, are being handled in one package. And this is going to pick up a lot of the things that are community development and human individual person focused infrastructure development opportunities. So really, as we approach our finals, what's going to happen is that people are going to get winnowed out. Priorities are going to get thinned out as there's a chance to, as really the bill gets negotiated and members of Congress decide how much they really want to spend and what the most important thing is. So the challenge for the preservation community now is that the big picture is fraught with a lot of uncertainty. Um, as members of the House and Senate decide they don't want three and a half trillion dollars of tax related spending, they want two or they want one and a half, then they're going to have to start marking stuff off the list. And our piece of it's not huge, but that that doesn't mean we're not at risk because a lot of people are up for haircuts in some form or another. So as I mentioned, we've pretty much laid out the marker of all the things we want. And as the process moves forward and they have to pull the purse strings in, we're at risk of things being marked off our list as the whole package 
holds together because we're now not just our own thing. We're part of this huge multi-trillion dollar thing. So we need the trillion dollar thing to be many trillions. So we get all the things we want. So hearing that and understanding the, the critical nature of where we're at in this moment, what's the best thing someone can do listening that's quick, somewhat easy, but actually has an impact? What do they need to do that can help move this forward and make sure that this remains a priority for the Congress? So the most important thing somebody can do in the next week, maybe two weeks, but let's say week, do it this week, is if you live in a state that has a Democratic senator, or if you've ever worked in a state, or you've done a project in a state, or you have a family member in a state, like figure out a reason that you have one of the 50 Democratic senators that you can reach out to and say, I want these Historic Tax Credit Growth and Opportunity Act provisions that were included in the House bill to be in the final bill that the Senate is going to consider and pass. These are important to me because of this project I did, this project I want to do, how this is going to revitalize my main street, how this is going to help me recover from COVID-19. This is important to me. Please make sure this provision stays in. And we are happy at NTCIC to help you do that. My colleague, Mike Phillips, is our director of public policy. His area of expertise is matching up constituents with the tax experts who work for all these members of Congress. He can help you with how to describe this or how to get in touch with the right person. There are also resources available through our website and the National Trust for Historic Preservation's website. And then if I get to cheat and ask for two things, sure. then... Uh, thanks. Um, then you can also join our broader advocacy effort. So I mentioned the other thing that I do in addition to my day job is I chair the Historic Tax Credit Coalition, which is the largest group of industry stakeholders that advocates on behalf of the historic tax credit at the federal level. And so the coalition's been working for more than 10 years to figure out ways that we can sustain and improve the credit. And we have preservationists and developers and investors and syndicators, lawyers, accountants, lobbyists, who are all working together and bringing these stories together from across the country, making sure that we get to the right members of Congress, partnering with organizations like yours, you know, the ability of a preservation Maryland to have a close relationship with Senator Cardin, who yeah. is one of the people who has a lot of, has been one of our great champions over time. Um, the hair still stands up on my arms when I think of how he talked about the historic tax credit when it was under threat in 2017 and tax reform. He actually showed a picture of the project that your listeners can't see, but is often my Zoom background, the American Brewery transaction and in Baltimore. A little, um, little background story that no one really cares about, but I have to share with you is all of those pictures provided by us. So happy to say that we worked through the night, the night before that hearing to get his staff all the pictures and everything and helped write, write, his, write his remarks. So yeah, he right. is, so um, he's a that, champion. That sustained advocacy, right? We aren't going to show, we aren't going to show up as a preservation movement tomorrow and talk to people for the very first time and get what we want, right? 
we have collectively worked together. It's like the ice you see underneath the water for the iceberg. We've been building a coalition, the actual coalition and in partnership with statewide and local preservation organizations and local people on the street to get to this point. And so we would love to have folks work with us at the coalition directly if you want to do this at scale, you know, and we're happy to help people work out, you know, their direct connections to members of Congress um, if they're going to be, you know, one voice in this mix, because now's the time that everybody comes to the table to move forward the stuff that we've been working on and the relationships we've been building, like those that you all have built with Senator Cardin um, since 2017's tax reform and back and back and back, Maybe you know, before. years and years and years. So we yeah. have people in the room. It's like your Hamilton moment. This is when we want to be in the room when it matters and that we have champions like Senator Cardin in Maryland, Senator Cassidy in Louisiana has been a long time champion for us as this moves to the Senate those people we've been working with over time will be the ones that help us get across the finish line. And they need to hear from their colleagues that it matters in other states too. Absolutely. So we will put links in the show notes to all the opportunities for people to take action. So it's very simple. They can just click on the link, um, get involved, learn more about you, Merrill, learn more about the National Trust Community Investment Corporation and the National Trust for Historic Preservation for that matter. Um, this has been really interesting. And, and I think the first time we we dove deep into tax policy, um, and I'm glad that we did it with, with a professional. Um, so before we go, those were all the softball questions. Now the hardest one, what is Merrill's favorite historic place or site? Man, that's hard. I think it's like with your children, you have to pick which one is your favorite that day, right? Or you don't yeah. get in trouble. Um, but I will say, because it matches the theme of our conversation, that my favorite historic property is the American Brewery transaction. Um, like you were involved with showing, you know, pulling together the materials that Senator Cardin used to talk to his colleagues about it in 2017. I worked on the financing of it in a prior life when I was not at NTCIC, but at Nixon Peabody. I was one of the attorneys that worked on the financing of the transaction, representing one of the investors in it, um, Bank of America. And it was really one of those projects that helped connect me to why we do this. There are a lot of boxes and arrows on structure charts. There's a lot of complexity in the tax and financing side of it. But at the end of the day, you're taking these iconic properties that mean so much in the communities that they're in. And in many cases, what they were originally built for aren't viable anymore. We've moved on um, to different things. And so being able to put these tax incentives back in, revitalize the property, bring in a great nonprofit like Humanum that is providing social services to the surrounding community, it really is showing all the different ways that preservation matters to people as a sense of place for vitality, revitalization, providing community services, generating jobs. So I really think of it as one of the anchors and touchstones in my career. So I've worked on hundreds over time, but I'll use that one as, a, as an iconic one that I'll pick as today's favorite. 
and I was going to say it's 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 got to be one of the coolest looking buildings in certainly in Maryland, maybe in the country. I mean, it is it is something else. We'll um, maybe we'll stick a picture in the uh, in the the notes here for this episode. This has been fantastic, super exciting to talk with you, and appreciate you um, distilling the complex into something that everybody can digest. And the takeaway here is we have an opportunity to drastically change the future of historic preservation all across this country. Um, and it just takes a minute for a listener to jump on, let their member of Congress know that this matters. Um, and we have the opportunity to really make some big changes that will make places better all across this country. So thank you for the work that you're doing on this um, and hope to bring you back um, once we can do a victory lap uh, about all of this. Um, and we'll do that next time at PreserveCast. Thanks, Meryl. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.